Introduction Part 6 of Commentary on the Gospel of John Book 12 by Cyril of Alexandria Translated by Rev. Thomas Randall This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 20, 1-9 Now on the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, while it was yet dark, unto the tomb, and seeth the stone taken away from the tomb. She runneth therefore, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple, and they went toward the tomb, and they ran both together, and the other disciple outran Peter, and came first to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he seeth the linen cloths lying, yet entered he not in. Simon Peter therefore cometh, following him, and entered into the tomb, and he beholdeth the linen cloths lying, and the napkin that was upon his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then entered in therefore the other disciple also, which came first to the tomb, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. This excellent and pious woman would never have endured to remain at home and leave the sepulchre had not her fear of the law for the Sabbath, and the penalty which impended upon those who transgressed it, curbed the vehemence of her zeal. And had she not, allowing ancient custom to prevail, thought she ought to withdraw her thoughts from the object of her most earnest longings. But, when the Sabbath was already past, and the dawn of the next day was appearing, she hurried back to the spot, and then, when she saw the stone rolled away from the mouth of the tomb, well-grounded suspicions seized her mind, and, calling to mind the ceaseless hatred of the Jews, she thought that Jesus had been carried away, accusing them of this crime in addition to their other misdeeds. While she was thus engaged, and revolving in her mind the probabilities of the case, the woman returned to the men who loved the Lord, anxious to obtain the cooperation of the most intimate of his disciples in her quest. And so deep-rooted and impregnable was her faith that she was not induced to esteem Christ less highly because of his death upon the cross, but even when he was dead called him Lord, as she had been wont to do, thereby showing a truly God-loving spirit. When these men, I mean Peter and John the writer of this book, for he gives himself the name of the other disciple, heard these tidings from the woman's mouth, they ran with all the speed they could, and came to the sepulchre in haste, and saw the marvel with their own eyes, being in themselves competent to testify to the event, for they were two in number, as the law enjoined. As yet they did not meet Christ risen from the dead, but infer his resurrection from the bundle of linen clothes, and henceforth believed that he had burst asunder the bonds of death, as Holy Writ had long ago proclaimed that he would do. When, therefore, they looked at the issues of events in the light of the prophecies which turned out true, their faith was henceforth rooted on a firm basis. 
observe that the blessed evangelist john when he tells us the time of the resurrection says on the first day of the week early while it was yet dark cometh mary magdalene unto the tomb while matthew also wishing to indicate the time to us says that the resurrection took place when the night was far spent no one i suppose will imagine that the inspired writers are at variance or that they fix the time of the resurrection differently for any one that chooses to investigate the meaning of the indications they give of the time will find that their accounts tally for early dawn and late night fix the same point of time that is the very dead of night so to say there is therefore no discrepancy between them for the one taking as his starting point the end of the night and the other the beginning both reach the middle watch and meet at the same point that is as i just now said the dead of night ten eleven so the disciples went away again unto their own home but mary was standing without at the tomb weeping the wise disciples after having gathered sufficiently satisfactory evidence of the resurrection of our saviour being in travail as it were with their confirmed and unshaken faith and by comparison of events as they had actually occurred with the prophetic utterances of holy scripture went back home and hastened as is likely to see their fellow-workers to recount to them the miracle and afterwards to consider the course to be pursued and we shall not err if we think that they had another object in so acting for while the passion of the jews was at its height and the rulers were thirsting eagerly for the blood of every man who marvelled at the teaching of the saviour and admitted his divine and ineffable power and glory but most of all for the blood of the holy disciples themselves they had good reason for shrinking from encountering them and left the sepulchre before it was quite light as they could not have done so without risk if seen in the daytime the sun's rays revealing them to all beholders we are far from saying that unmanly cowardice was the motive of their cautious flight rather should we suppose that the knowledge of what was expedient for them was instilled in the minds of the saints by christ who did not permit these who were destined to be lights and teachers of the world to run untimely risks for it was necessary that the truth of his saying should be seen which he spake concerning them to the father in heaven holy father keep them he says in thy name which thou hast given me that they may be one even as we are one while i was with them i kept them in thy name which thou hast given me and i guarded them and not one of them perished but the son of perdition the disciples therefore retired thinking they ought to await the time when they should speak openly and this they did in obedience to the saviour's words for he charged them not to depart from jerusalem as it is written but to wait for the promise of the father which they had heard of him for john indeed baptized with water but they shall be baptized with the holy ghost not many days hence an event which we find actually came to pass in the days of the holy pentecost 
when there appeared unto them tongues parting asunder, like as a fire, and it sat upon each one of them. For then were they invested with a spirit of the greatest courage and endurance, and, high exalted above the frailty of their fellow men, boldly encountered the madness of the Jews, and thought their plotting against them worthy of no account. The wise disciples, then, concealed themselves from the motive of expediency, as I said just now, while Mary, in her love of Christ, free from all fear, and not much suspecting the wrath of the Jews, sat on the watch persistently, and, affected after the manner of women, wept abundantly, and continually wiped away the tears that kept falling from her eyes mourning not only because the Lord was dead, but also because she thought he had been taken away from the sepulchre. 11, 12, 13. So, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she beholdeth two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Observe that the tears let fall for Christ do not lose their reward, nor is it long before love for him bears fruit, rather will his grace and rich requital follow closely in the wake of pain. For, behold, as Mary was sitting there, her cheeks bedewed with mourning for her beloved Lord, whom she had lost, the Saviour vouchsafed unto her the knowledge of the mystery concerning him by the mouth of holy angels. For she saw angels in bright apparel, the garments wherewith they were clad, signifying to her the perfect beauty of angelic purity, who interrupted her lamentations, and said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? It was not, indeed, that they desired to learn the reason why her tears were falling, for they would have known it even had the woman not told it them and the very circumstances themselves were sufficient to indicate it. Rather do they bid her cease from weeping, as there was no occasion for tears, and as she had made what was a subject for rejoicing a cause of grief. Why, indeed, say they, when death has been subdued, and corruption lost its power, and our Saviour Christ has therefore risen again, and made a new pathway for the dead back to incorruption and to life. Why dost thou, O woman, mistake the time? And why art thou so distraught by bitter pangs of woe, when the issue of events rather calls you to rejoice? For, in truth, thou shouldst be glad and be of good cheer. Why, then, weepest thou? And thus, in some sort, detractest from the honor due unto a festival. The angels appeared, sitting at the head and at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain, thereby, as it were, signifying to the woman, who thought that the Lord had been taken away, that no one could have done despite unto the holy body, while angels kept watch, and holy powers encompassed the temple of God, for they knew their Lord. One may raise the question, not unreasonably, how it was that the blessed angels said nothing to the holy disciples, and did not even appear unto them, but were both seen by the woman, and also spake unto her. 
We reply, then, that it was the object of the Saviour Christ to instill into the minds of those who loved him the perfect knowledge of the mystery concerning him. But that this perfect knowledge was in different ways given unto them, and adapted to the requirements of those who stood in need of it. The course of events itself, as compared with the expectations raised in holy writ, sufficed to give the holy disciples adequate knowledge, and begat in them a confidence that did not admit of doubt. For they went home trusting in the holy scriptures, and it would have been superfluous for those whose faith was thus firmly grounded to be taught by the mouth of the holy angels. But it was very necessary to the woman, who knew not the holy and divine scripture, and by no other means could apprehend the deep mystery of the resurrection. 13.14. She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. When she had thus said, she turned herself back, and beholdeth Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. The woman, or rather all womankind, is slow of understanding. For she does not understand the hidden meaning of what met her gaze, but rather announces it as the cause of her grief. But as she ceased not to call Christ Lord, and thereby signified her love towards him, she is justly permitted to enjoy the sight of the object of her desire. For she beholds Jesus, though she did not think him to be at her side. And why? Either her ignorance was caused by our Saviour Christ still concealing himself by his divine power, and not allowing himself very easily to be recognized by the eye of the beholder. Or, as it was still early in the morning, she could not readily distinguish what was before her eyes, as night somehow prevented her from so doing, and scarcely revealed the figure of him who was drawing nigh. Therefore also our Lord Jesus Christ himself, in the Song of Songs, makes mention of his walk on this night, and the moisture of the morning dew, in the words, For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. 15. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. As it was still dark, and the night had not yet wholly passed away, she sees Jesus, who stood near her, but dimly, and knows not who he is, being unable to distinguish the form of his body or his features, but hears him say, Woman, why weepest thou? The Saviour's words are indeed words of courtesy, still such as to arouse in her the suspicion that they were most like the words of one of the gardeners. It follows, too, that the Lord, when he thus spake, was not in point of fact asking her the reason for her weeping, nor desirous to learn of whom she was in search, but was rather anxious to stop her lamentations, just as, indeed, were the two blessed angels, for it was in their company that he spake. Why, then, weepest thou, O woman, he says, 
whom seekest thou? That is to say, wipe away thy tears, as thou hast the object of thy search. I, he says, am he who is the occasion of thy mourning, as having been dead, and as having suffered a dreadful fate, and as having also been taken away out of the tomb. But, as I am alive and am here, give up thy lamentations, and contrarywise be of good cheer. He asked the question then, wishing to end her sorrow. For it was meet that the Lord should be our restorer in this way also. For by Adam's transgression, as in the first fruits of the race, the sentence went forth to the whole world. Dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. And to the woman in special, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. To be rich in sorrow, then, as by way of a penalty, was the fate of woman. It was, therefore, necessary that by the mouth of him that had passed sentence of condemnation, the burden of that ancient curse should be removed, our Saviour Christ now wiping away the tears from the eyes of the woman, or rather of all womankind, as in Mary the first fruits. For she, first of women, being offended at the death of the Saviour, and grieving thereat, was thought worthy to hear the voice that cut short her weeping. The power of the word, in fact, extending also to the whole race of women, if indeed they be pained by the outrages against Christ, and honor faith in Him, and almost fall to quoting that saying in the Psalms, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred, I count them mine enemies. While, however, our Lord Jesus Christ says this to put a stop to her weeping, she, supposing the speaker to be one of the gardeners, undertook very readily to transfer the remains to another place, if only it were shown her where he had laid him. For, not yet apprehending the great mystery of the resurrection, she was disturbed by suspicions of this kind. For the feminine mind is slow-witted and ill-prepared to readily comprehend even what is not very difficult, far less miracles which baffle description. 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turneth herself, and saith unto him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which is to say, Master, and ran forward to touch him. He invites the recognition of the woman, whose mind had already been enlightened, and allowing her to gaze upon him without let or hindrance, for indeed she loved him ardently. He almost rebukes her for having been so slow to perceive that he was Christ, for there is some such implied meaning in his calling her by name. She understood at once, and at the sight of him cast aside the suspicions she felt at first, and offers him the usual tribute of respect, calling him Rabboni, that is to say, Master, and with her mind full of a heavenly joy ran eagerly to touch the holy body, and to gain blessing therefrom. 17. Jesus saith to her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended unto my Father. 
the meaning of this saying is not easily understood by the vulgar for a mystery underlies it but we must probe it for our advantage for the lord will vouchsafe unto us the knowledge of his own words for he repulses the woman as she was running up to him and though she longed to embrace his feet he suffered her not and in explanation of his reason for so doing said for i am not yet ascended unto my father we must inquire into the meaning of this saying for what if he were not yet ascended to his father how could this reason suffice to render it improper for those that loved him to touch his holy body would it not be blameworthy for any one to imagine that the lord shrank from the pollution of the touch and thus spake that he might be pure when he ascended to the father in heaven would not such a man stand convicted of great folly and madness for the nature of god can never be polluted for just as the light of the sun's ray when it strikes upon a dunghill or any other earthly impurities suffers no stain for it remains as it is that is undefiled and partakes in no degree of the ill odour of the objects that it encounters even so the all-holy nature of god can never admit of the blemish of defilement what then is the reason why mary was prevented from touching him when she drew near and yearned so to do what can the lord mean when he says for i am not yet ascended unto my father we must investigate this according to the best of our ability we say therefore that the reasons for our saviour's sojourn amongst us were manifold and diverse but this one the principle of all which is indicated in his own words for i came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance therefore before the saving cross and the resurrection from the dead while as yet his providential scheme had not yet received its appropriate fulfilment he mingled both with the just and the unjust and ate with publicans and sinners and allowed any that so willed to come to him and touch his holy body that he might sanctify all men and call them to a knowledge of the truth and might bring back to health those who were diseased and enfeebled by the constant practice of sin therefore also in another place he said unto them they that are whole have no need of a physician but they that are sick therefore before his resurrection from the dead he had intercourse indiscriminately with the righteous and with sinners and never frightened away any that came unto him moreover when he was once reclining at the house of a pharisee a woman came in unto him weeping who was a sinner in the city as it is written and let down her wanton locks scarcely released from the service of her past sins and wiped his feet therewith and we see that he did not stop her again when he was on his way to bring back to life the daughter of the leader of the synagogue once more a woman came near unto him who had an issue of blood and touched the border of his garment but we find that he was in no wise offended but rather vouchsafed unto her the comforting assurance 
Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. But at that time, by his providence, men who were still unclean, and who were polluted both in mind and body, were suffered without let or hindrance to touch the holy flesh itself of our Saviour Christ, and to gain every blessing thereby. But when, after having completed the scheme of our redemption, he had both suffered the cross itself, and death thereon, and had risen again to life, and shown that his nature was superior to death, henceforward, instead of granting them a ready permission, he hinders those who come to him from touching the very flesh of his holy body, thereby giving us a type of the holy churches, and the mystery concerning himself, just as also the law given by the all-wise Moses itself did, when it represented the slaughter of the Lamb as a figure of Christ. For no uncircumcised person, said the law, shall eat thereof, meaning by uncircumcised impure, and humanity may justly be deemed impure in its own nature. For what is the nature of man as compared with God's inherent purity? We may not, therefore, while we remain uncircumcised, that is, impure, touch the holy body, but only when we have been made pure by the true circumcision of the spirit. For circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, as Paul saith. And we cannot be spiritually circumcised if the Holy Spirit hath not taken up his abode in us by faith and holy baptism. Surely, therefore, it was meet that Mary should for a while be restrained from touching his sacred body, as she had not yet received the Spirit. For even though Christ was risen from the dead, still the Spirit had not yet been given to humanity by the Father through him. For when he ascended to God the Father, he sent the Spirit down to us. Wherefore also he said, It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter cannot come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. As, therefore, the Holy Spirit had not yet been sent down unto us, for he had not yet ascended to the Father, he repulses Mary as not yet having received the Spirit, saying, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended unto the Father. That is to say, I have not yet sent down unto you the Holy Spirit. Hence the type is applicable to the churches. Therefore also we drive away from the holy table those who are indeed convinced of the Godhead of Christ, and have already made profession of faith, that is, those who are already catechumens, when they have not as yet been enriched with the Holy Spirit. For he does not dwell in those who have not received baptism. But when they have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, then indeed there is nothing to hinder them from touching our Saviour Christ. Therefore also, to those who wish to partake of the blessed Eucharist, the ministers of divine mysteries say, Holy things to the holy, teaching that participation in holy things 
is the due reward of those who are sanctified in the spirit. End of Introduction <laughs>